so good to see everyone in the house of the Lord tonight. Amen. Uh, we have several people not with us today, either due to sickness. Uh, we'll be praying for them uh, or if they're visiting family and friends uh, for the, the holiday season. So uh, let's pray for everyone not present here with us tonight uh, for whatever reason it is. Amen. The Lord has something special for us here tonight, I believe. I believe with all my heart because he's an awesome God. Amen. Let's all stand. <clears throat> we do want to pray for those that are suffering illness tonight. Uh, I won't uh, name names because we are online, but uh, there are several tonight uh, not here that are suffering from illness. Let's remember them. Let's pray for them. Uh, those that are journeying, those that are out of town, let's pray for them. Amen. And my beautiful bride. Pray for her. Amen. I was going to make a joke, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to. Amen. Uh, let's pray to the Lord. He has special plans for us, each of us. Amen. Each and every day, I pray that we draw closer to those plans, that we, we, we get to the place where we can see those, those plans come to fruition in our lives. Amen. Lord Jesus, you're an awesome God. We worship you. We praise you. We thank you for this opportunity you've given us tonight to enter into the presence of God, the very throne room of God. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. It is an awesome privilege. It is a high honor to enter into your presence here tonight. I am so thankful for you. I am so thankful for your so great salvation. Again, Lord, I'm thankful that you came, that you've wrapped yourself in flesh. You lived among us as a, as a human being for the purpose of dying for my sins. Thank you, Jesus. We pray for this service tonight that you would minister wondrously, gloriously, that your servant would get out of the way and let you do what only you can do, that you would work, that you would speak, that all eyes, all hearts, all ears would be attentive unto your voice, unto you, the Lord our God, that we would see you tonight high and lifted up, that your train still fills the temple. Hallelujah, Jesus. We pray for those absent tonight, whether from traveling or from sickness. I pray journeying mercies for those traveling. I pray healing, a miraculous, supernatural healing for those that need healing tonight. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. And we give you all the glory. We give you all the honor. We worship and we praise you for that we are to receive here tonight, for that we have received from you. Hallelujah, Jesus. We are so thankful for you. We worship and we praise you. These things we pray, these things we ask in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen, amen. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. We serve a faithful God, a prayer-answering God. Praise God. God bless you. Thank you for standing tonight. You can be seated. Uh, before we start with our lesson, I do want to make one quick announcement. Uh, this Sunday, our New Year's Eve service uh, will be at 5 p.m. Uh, please don't come at normal time. I suppose you can. Um, you're certainly welcome to, uh, but there won't be a lot of people here, <laughs> probably. Amen. Uh, but our service will start at 5 p.m. Amen. Our scripture text is found tonight in Jeremiah chapter 15. Jeremiah chapter 15. Named, I think, aptly so, the weeping prophet. He preached repentance. Repentance.
repentance, repentance. Jeremiah chapter 15, we'll start reading with verse 15 down to verse 21. Jeremiah chapter 15, 15 through 21. O Lord, thou knowest, remember me and visit me and revenge me of my persecutors. Take me not away in thy long suffering. Know that for thy sake I have suffered rebuke. Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart. For I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. I sat not in the assembly of the mockers, nor rejoiced. I sat alone because of thy hand. For thou hast filled me with indignation. Why is my pain perpetual? And my wound incurable, which refuseth to be healed. Wilt thou be altogether unto me as a liar, and as waters that fail? Therefore thus saith the Lord, If thou return, then will I bring thee again, and thou shalt stand before me. And if thou take forth the precious from the vile, thou shalt be as my mouth. Let them return unto thee, but return not thou unto them. And I will make thee unto this people a fenced brazen wall. And they shall fight against thee, but they shall not prevail against thee. For I am with thee to save thee and to deliver thee, saith the Lord. And I will deliver thee out of the hand of the wicked, and I will redeem thee out of the hand of the terrible. Amen. And I want to speak uh, for just a, well, the remainder of our time together tonight on this topic. I sit alone. I sit alone. Amen. Jeremiah is the prophet uh, that God used to pen these words. Jeremiah was an interesting figure. He was an interesting man. Because of his calling, he was denied participation in the ordinary joys and sorrows of his fellow countrymen. In fact, he wasn't even allowed to marry. He often endured physical hardship for his faithfulness to the prophetic call. He would become despondent. From time to time, there was one part of his uh, his book. He wished he'd never been born. In fact, it's uh, when you read through it, it sounds like you're. Uh, it looks like you're reading Job. It sounded almost identical. I curse the day that I was born. Curse the man that announced that there was a man-child born etc., etc. He wanted to run away and live alone in the desert. Just get away from it all. Called God a deceitful brook. Waters that fail. Even accused God of deceiving him, overpowering him. But there were also times of joy. Thy words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. He would speak of Yahweh as a dread warrior fighting by his side. Amen. But what strikes me about Jeremiah and other people we'll be talking about tonight, certainly for our purposes, is his loneliness. He was at best misunderstood, at worst actively fought against. Why? For only one reason. Because of his faithfulness to the call of God. He possessed the true word of the Lord. 
He spoke the true word of the Lord. And because of that, he was separated from everyone else. He sat alone. We as human beings are social creatures. We understand that. From the time of our birth, doctors tell us that it's good for the baby to receive not just words of affirmation, but physical touch. That's healthy. And the child that lacks that has a whole slew of problems as they grow up. That physical touch is important. Physical proximity to one another is important. Spending time with one another is important. God told Adam all the way back in the Garden of Eden that it is not good that man should be alone. Now what does he mean by that? He was walking with God. He was in the physical presence of the Almighty. What do you mean it's not good that I should be alone? Well, it appears, to me at least, that that's how we were created. We were created to have fellowship with God, certainly, but not exclusively. We also need fellowship with one another, other human beings, not just a spouse per per se, but with family, with friends, with like-minded individuals. It's good that people spend time together. And when you find yourself in a place where you're all alone, you have no one to spend time with. You have no one to share uh, your burden or, or your joys or your sorrows with. You're all alone. That weighs on someone pretty hard and pretty fast. In the life of Jeremiah, many prophets were prophesying peace and prosperity. And the people were, not surprisingly, intent on listening to their message. I like that message a whole lot better. But only one prophet had the true word of God. And no one was listening to him. No one liked his message. After proclaiming the word of the Lord, this was their response to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 18.18 Then said they, Come and let us devise devices against Jeremiah. For the law shall not perish from the priest, nor counsel from the wise, nor the word from the prophet. In other words, nothing he says is going to come to pass. Come and let us smite him with the tongue, and let us not give heed to any of his words. Maybe some of you can relate a little bit to what Jeremiah is experiencing right here. I know that uh, when I first got in church, and I started telling all my worldly friends and my worldly family what had happened to me, figuring they'd want to know. Because this is, This is the most awesome thing that's ever happened to me. Some were nice. That's nice. 
that's interesting. Others were not so nice. <clears throat> but no one seemed to understand. In retrospect, how could they understand? How could they have understood what I experienced, what you experienced? I don't think I would have understood until I experienced it. But we can relate to this a little bit. Being misunderstood. Having the word of the Lord. And no one's interested. Now, there are certainly people who are interested. And it is not my intention tonight to depress or to to uh, have a corporate pity party or anything like that. I hope you know me well enough by now that that's, that's not my intention. But, on the other hand, I mean... Let's call, let's call the situation like it is, shall we? There are people out there that are not interested in hearing. They are actively fighting this message. Maybe you know one or two of them. And if you take a stand for God, they will actively fight you too. There are plenty of people out there who are hungry and thirsty for what we have. And I pray God leads us to them. And they come in, they get the Holy Ghost. I mean, God drops the Holy Ghost on this whole city, this whole county. Amen. We're praying for that. I believe it's going to happen. But in the midst of that, there's going to be a battle. There's going to be a fight. There will be a fight corporately as a church body. And there'll be a fight individually. There'll be a fight here. There'll be a fight up here. There'll be a fight coming to you when you're tired and sick and least ready for it. Probably when you're all alone or feeling alone, feeling separated, feeling like there's no one out there. We're going to talk about some individuals tonight who felt that way. We'll start with the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2, verse 20, For I have no man like-minded. I have no man like-minded. No one understands me. No one gets me. I know I've said this before, but Brother Lee Stone King has said that this is the most lonely verse in the Bible. <coughs> Feeling like there's no one out there that understands you, that gets you, that can relate to you. You speak words and they... they they understand the meaning of the individual words, but they're not understanding the message. They're not understanding this. They're not understanding what motivates you and what, what's got you so excited and so fervent. They don't get it. They don't understand you. Paul knew that. Paul experienced that. In Galatians chapter 1, starting with verse 15, he said, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace to reveal His Son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen immediately. I conferred not with flesh and blood. 
Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him fifteen days, but other of the apostles saw I none save James, the Lord's brother. This man who would later know intense loneliness, intense periods of separation, intense periods of battle, willingly separated himself unto the Lord. He chose to do that. He didn't confer with flesh and blood for three years. He separated himself unto God. I don't know if it would be necessary in each of our lives to separate ourselves unto the Lord for that period of time. But from time to time, it certainly is necessary for us to separate ourselves from family and friends. Separate ourselves from what's going on around us unto the Lord. And spend time in His presence. Amen. The Apostle Paul was perhaps, certainly in the New Testament, as I see it, one of the most mightily used men in all of Scripture, in all of the New Testament. He was used mightily in signs and wonders. He started churches all over. God used him powerfully. But he paid a price for it. It wasn't handed to him on a silver platter. There are Christians who pray, and I think rightly so. God, use me mightily. God, use me in the, in the miraculous. Use me in signs and wonders. And I think, I think all Christians ought to be used in the miraculous. I think Scripture bears that out. But at the same time, folks... <laughs> Are we willing to pay a price for it? Daniel. In Daniel chapter 6, starting with verse 1, we read this. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom and 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. And over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give accounts unto them, and the king should have no damage. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find none occasion nor fault, for as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. This isn't evil. This is just politics. It's just politics, folks. No, this is evil. Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said thus unto him, King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors and the princes, the counselors and the captains have consulted together. The whole kingdom was established against Daniel. To establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that Whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for thirty days, save of thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it be not changed, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. 
Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did before. Didn't change at all. We understand that. Daniel continued to remain faithful to his convictions, remained faithful to his God. story continues that he was somehow caught <clears throat> and ratted out and thrown in the lion's den. God protected him. We pick up again in verse 23. Then was the king exceeding glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no manner of hurt was found upon him because he believed in his God. And the king commanded... And they brought those men which had accused Daniel, and they cast him into the den of lions, them, their children, and their wives. And the lions had the mastery of them, and break all their bones in pieces, or ever they came at the bottom of the den. And Daniel lived happily ever after. <clears throat> he still had the knowledge that he was hated by everybody. The whole kingdom hated Daniel, despised him, sought his downfall. Why? Because he had an excellent spirit and no fault was found in him. That's why. He had the favor of the king. Have you ever been told, or have you ever heard these words come out of a Christian's mouth? Why do you act so holier than thou? I don't know why people say that. Well, yeah, I guess I do. I don't know why they'd verbalize it. I don't know why they just wouldn't repent and start being holy themselves. <clears throat> What's wrong with that? But instead, no, they got to drag people down to their level. It's certainly in the world, but unfortunately, it's also in the church. Did you know the church isn't made up of perfect people? <clears throat> there are imperfect people in the church, folks. And <laughs> you might have the pleasure of meeting some. And they're going to let you know through word, through deed, that they're not perfect. Yeah, and we're going to do the same thing. <clears throat> we're going to let them know, too, that we're not perfect. But as an aside, when people aren't perfect to you, give them some grace. Give them some grace. I know that when I'm not perfect toward you, I want grace. That's the first thing I want. I want your forgiveness. I want your understanding. I want mercy. So when someone's not perfect toward me, I do my very best to give what I'm looking for when I'm not perfect. And just understand, that may not be that person. 
I mean, you can take you can take a, a glimpse, you can take a snapshot of someone uh, in in a in a minute of their life, and they look pretty ugly right now. That's not necessarily them. They might have just got news that their their husband died. They're not going to be in the best state of mind at that point in time. I mean, who knows? Who knows what's going on in their life right now? Those who are strong, encourage the weaker. Minister to the weaker. Amen. When you're weak, when I'm weak, I want someone strong to come and minister to me. Amen. That's the body of Christ. We're not perfect. We say dumb things like, why do you keep acting holier than thou? That's a dumb thing to say, folks. It really is. I would encourage you, be as holy as you can be. Be as spiritual as you can be. This idea that he's so spiritual that he's no earthly good. No, that that's talking about being kooky. That's talking about being crazy. That's not spiritual. Jesus was the most spiritual guy I know. And he was all kinds of earthly good. Right? Keep getting spiritual, folks. Get as spiritual as you can. Get as Christ-like as you can. But just understand that on your journey to Christ-likeness, not everyone's going to be happy for you. Not everyone's going to be celebrating your victories. They're going to be looking for you to stumble and fall. Noah, Genesis chapter 6, 17 and 18 says this, And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life from under heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die. But with thee will I establish my covenant. And thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Obviously, Noah, for the dispensation of the time, was living righteously, was pleasing God. And God took notice. And so, to honor Noah, he made him look crazy. He said, Noah... I want you to preach that the rain is coming. I want you to build an ark, a big old boat that's going to save you from all this water that's going to fall from the sky. That hasn't ever happened ever. This, is, this has never happened before. Never fallen from the sky. Mist from the ground came up and watered the plants. Did he have the word of the Lord? Imagine this. Imagine this scenario. God speaks to you. God speaks to you in a manner that you know for sure. There is no doubt in your mind. This is the Lord speaking to you. And you got a, you got a very sick friend, relative, whatever. And God is saying, I'm going to heal him. Just as sure as I'm standing here with you now, I'm going to heal him. And you know this is God speaking to you. And so you get excited because <laughs> it's exciting. And you tell the guy, God's going to heal you. 
and he's nice. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for that word of encouragement. And you come back the next day. God's going to heal you. And you come back the next week and the next month and the next year. Ten years. Right about now, your friend's not nice anymore. He's angry with you. Why do you keep trying to get my hopes up with this delusion? Noah preached for 120 years. The rain's coming. The rain's coming. I'm building this ark. Get ready. What do you think they did after 10, 20, 30, 60, 90 years? Yeah, he was a laughing stock. No one listened to him. No one paid any attention to the poor old crazy guy. How would that make you feel? You know you have the word of the Lord. You know it. And we can relate in the fact that we have the word of God. We know we have God's word. We know it. We are persuaded that that is the very word of God. And we teach someone a Bible study. We give someone our personal testimony. This is what God did for me. That's nice. I'm glad you found your truth. I'm glad for you. That must be what you needed. No, dude, you don't get it. We all need this. They don't want to listen. They don't want to hear. And because of these things, folks, we can feel isolated. We can feel we are supposed to be separate from the world. But we are supposed to be in the world, not of the world. We are supposed to circulate amongst them. We are supposed to be witnessing and ministering to them. But we can get to the place where we feel like No one is interested. Nobody cares. All they're doing is pointing fingers at me. They think I'm crazy. No one wants to... No one wants to be by me. They see me coming in the hallway. They turn the other way. They get stuck in an elevator. They're nervous. What's crazy going to say today? We can feel very lonely, very separate, like I'm the only one. Of all these people, I'm the only one, and no one is interested. No one understands. No one knows exactly what you mean. Joseph. Genesis 37, starting with verse 3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. He made him a coat of many colors. Bad move, Dad. Bad move. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him. 
and could not speak peaceably unto him. I don't condone their hatred of him, but on the other hand, what is Jacob expecting here? Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it his brethren, the ones that hate him. And they hated him yet the more. And he said unto him, Here, I pray you this dream that I have dreamed. For behold, we're binding sieves in the field. Lo, my sieve arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sieve stood round about and made obeisance to mine. And his brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us, or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. Everything Joseph did, every time he opened his mouth, he made, oh, he didn't make them, but it, it, it put more and more separation between him and his brethren. All of his brethren were over here talking about Joseph. Joseph was over here all by his lonesome. God spoke to Joseph about things that were going to happen again. He had the true word of the Lord, didn't he? God told him what was to come. Joseph was right. He had it right. And Joseph was the only one that believed it. I think the closest one was maybe Jacob, who pondered his words. The word that God had given him caused him to be separated from his family, caused him to be hated by his family. Eventually, he'd be separated physically as well as emotionally and sent to live amongst complete strangers, people with a different culture, people completely foreign, alien to him, the Egyptians. But again, all is well that ends well. Genesis 41, 39-43. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God hath showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house, and according unto thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand, and arrayed him in vestures of fine linen, put a gold chain about his neck, And made him to ride in the second chariot which he had. And they cried before him, bow the knee. And he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. But what did it cost him? Years, decades of loneliness, misunderstanding. That's what it cost him. King David wasn't even found worthy to come to the summons of the prophet. I don't think he was hated by his family, just maybe ignored. Arguably, that's worse than being hated. I'm told the opposite of love isn't hate, it's indifference.
David had the word of the Lord. He was anointed king. He received the word of the Lord through the prophet Samuel. No one seemed to pay any attention to that, though. Saul was still sitting on his throne. Everyone still recognized him as king. And because David was anointed king, he lived in dens and caves of the earth. There was a period of time where he was driven out of Israel altogether. Lived with the Philistines. Until he ascended the throne. All's well that ends well. But what did the throne cost David? John the Baptist. Matthew 3, 1 through 4 says this. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Esaias, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. He didn't spend a lot of time in town. He didn't spend a lot of time yucking it up with his chums. He spent a lot of time alone, in the desert, by himself. If he wasn't preaching to the multitudes, he was alone in prayer. Until his ministry was done, and he was sent to prison and beheaded. But Jesus says this of John. What went ye out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not arisen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The greatest who have lived up to this point, John the Baptist. The one that was prophesied to come the forerunner of Jesus Christ himself, the Messiah. But what price did he pay to be used so mightily to hold such an esteemed position? And we would be remiss if we didn't mention the loneliest of all, Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53 and 3 says this, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. We see that 
all through the Gospels. He's wanted when there's a need. I'm glad you're here, Jesus. Can you heal my daughter? I'm glad you're here, Jesus. Can you feed me? I'm glad you're here, Jesus. Can you heal my blindness, my leprosy? Can you do something for me? But when it comes time to do something for Jesus, there's no one around anymore. Everyone's gone. Many times in Scripture, there, we read that people sought to stone him, throw him off a cliff. But he would evade them because it wasn't his time yet. Many of his followers toward the end began to walk away because the sayings were too hard. These are hard sayings, Jesus. I don't know about all that. Can we get back to the loaves and fishes, please? He was denied by the man he invested in most, Peter. Denied him three times. Judas betrayed him with a kiss. All through his ministry, he was ministering to the needs of others. I don't read one time where anyone ever asked Jesus, is there something you need? What can I do for you? Not one time do I read anything like that. In the Garden of Gethsemane, all he wanted was his friends. Matthew 26, 36 through 38 says this, Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto his disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. He took with him Peter, the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. I want to read that same passage in the New Living Translation. It says this, Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and he said, Sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He was at the point. He knew it was time. He knew it was about to transpire. He knew the guards were coming to take him away. He knew the trial, the mock trial, was about to proceed. He was going to be on a cross here real soon. He wanted his closest friends by him. And Terry there with him. Please, stay here with me. But they couldn't. They fell asleep. By the time he was on the cross, everyone had forsaken him but John. 
and well on the cross. Because he took our sins upon himself, he was forsaken by God himself. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And in that instance, he was truly and utterly alone. Have you ever felt misunderstood? Have you ever knew you had the truth? You had the right answer. But no one was buying. No one was listening. Have you ever felt estranged or separated from people that you've been close to? Because of God's hand on your life. It can be difficult living for God when you know you're the only one that is. If you're a new Christian, all your family and friends are still in the world. You've probably yet to make close friends in the church. It's a very weird time of transition. I don't know how it was for you, but for me, (laughs) better for worse, it happened pretty quick. My friends in the world, they kind of made it up for me. If you're a seasoned saint, maybe your family serves God, maybe it doesn't. Again, in my case, before any of my family came to know the Lord, it was weird getting together for Christmas and Thanksgiving and whatever. It just wasn't a lot to talk about. A lot of weird silence. We see in every one of these situations that things turned out real good. God honored their faithfulness. God honored the word that he gave unto them. But there was a price that was paid, wasn't there? I have preached, I will continue to preach, that God wants to use each and every one of us mightily. I believe that with all my heart. It's the Word of God. I can't believe anything else. But there might be a price to pay to get there. And I want to encourage each and every one of us, that price is worth it. But it's a price, folks. It's not easy to pay it. It might be that we're required to be lonely for a while. It might be that we're required to suffer for a while. 
We see the condition of the world. We see where we're headed. And I think God is going to blow this thing open. I think there's going to be revival all over the world. I believe that. Again, it's the Word of God. But I also believe that someone's got to pay the price for it. In prayer, in fasting, in work, in sacrifice. believe each and every one of us are responsible to do that. God wants to reach this world. I can't save the whole world. I can't save anybody. I can't reach the whole world. Neither can you. But together, we can reach some. I heard a story, read a story a while back. Maybe you've heard this too. There was a guy on the seashore. There were a bunch of starfish that were washed up. He'd, he'd pick one up and throw it back in the ocean. I mean, there were hundreds and hundreds of them all over the beach. And he'd just pick one at a time and throw them. And another guy came up and asked him what he was doing. Throwing these back into the ocean so they, they live. <clears throat> you can't get all of these starfish back. Yeah, but I can get this one. Throw it in. I can get this one. In. We can't reach everybody, but we can reach somebody. We can reach one person. And I promise you, because I've been that one person, they're going to thank you for it. They're going to be so glad that you did. I'm so glad that someone did. that guy doesn't win anyone else, God used it to win me. And I'll be eternally grateful. But if there's a price to be paid, folks, we've got to pay it. Because Jesus is the one asking us to pay it. If we're lonely, we're lonely for His sake. If we suffer, we suffer for His sake. If it costs me something, it's for His sake. He's the one asking. Because He's the one asking. I can pay it freely. I don't have to worry about it. I can suffer a period of loneliness. As hard as it is. I can do it. Because He's the one asking. But it's got to be paid. I don't, I, don't, I don't believe David would have ever ascended the throne. <clears throat> he wouldn't have ascended the throne as the man he was without going through what he did. King Saul ascended the throne, and he was a dumpster fire the whole time. His character was, he had no character at all. Joseph couldn't have done what he did except he went through those stages. He managed Potiphar's house and he managed the jailer's entire setup. 
He was learning. He was growing. God put him in situations where he could do that. Difficult situations. And he'll put us in the same situations. God's word to you might separate you from everything and everyone you know. You might feel despondent, rejected, lonely like Jeremiah did. You may feel like no one understands you. But obedience to the word that God gives you will always produce blessing in your life. The price is always, always worth it. And whatever it is we're required to give, to sacrifice, to pay, God is with us in the midst of it. God is walking alongside of us. And we can't pay any more than he's already given. We just can't. And in the midst of a trial or a test, encourage yourself with this. God only separates to himself those whom he loves, those whom he has chosen, those whom he has called. He doesn't separate everybody to himself. Many are called, but few are chosen. Also remember that you and God are always a majority. Always. I read a story one time. Uh, Starship Troopers. <clears throat> Don't watch the movie. But the book, the book is actually a, a treatise on politics. It's it's actually really good. It's not very science fictiony at all. But anyway, uh, in that book, um, the platoon leader had died. So everyone was wanting to name the platoon after the platoon sergeant. And uh, so the platoon sergeant says, okay, so what's, what's the vote? It's unanimous. Everybody agrees. We should name it after you. Okay, so 55 yeses and one no. The no's have it. And that was it. His was the majority vote. <laughs> bring that up to say God's is always the majority vote. Whenever God speaks, that's what happens. When God told Jeremiah that they're going to fight against you, but they will not prevail against you. It will be a fight, but they cannot win. And you cannot lose. That's the word of God. They will fight against us, but they can't win. They could even go so far as to destroy this flesh. Does that mean I lose? Yeah. Yeah, no, that means I won. That means I won the ultimate prize. I got home. I want to encourage us tonight. The things that God wants to do in us and through us 
are miraculous. They're amazing. They're wondrous. Exceeding abundantly above all that I can ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. That's what God wants to do. That's what He wants to do each and every day. And if we're required to pay a price to get there, please pay it. This world needs it. This world needs Jesus. This world needs to see Jesus. Needs to see Him demonstrated. Needs to see Him lived out day by day in front of them. Amen. Pray that in our hearts, in our spirits, we have a fervent desire to get to the place where God wants us to be, no matter the cost, no matter the price. We see the prices that were paid in these individuals' lives. We see what happened at the end as a result. There's always something pretty cool. The price was steep. necessary for the plan of God to move forward. I want God's plan to move forward in this church, in your individual lives. Amen. And I want it. I want it no matter the cost. Amen. Let's all stand.